life is certainly round in so many ways. Uh, there's very rarely a uh, linear path to um, towards enlightenment, but I think the most important thing is to constantly push yourself out of your comfort zone in all facets of life, even when uh, you're uh, even totally petrified or you know in, in fear. You lean into that. Ultimately, you grow from that. And uh, get a chance today to speak to a guy who puts himself out there in a vulnerable position on the bandstand um, quite a bit with uh, with my dear friend Mowgli and uh, fantastic, fantastic guava tree, fantastic group. Um, and uh, it was really an honor to see him uh, a few months ago at Tree Ford Festival. Trace and Bradshaw, welcome to the Jake Feinberg Show. Hey, thank you so much, man. It's good to hear from you. It was, it was, that show was such a good time. It was wonderful meeting you there and all that. You know, uh, Trace, I wanted to, to talk to you a little bit about, um, like, if you could talk a little bit to younger cats about um, how you learned to subdivide in the music. I think that's kind of the key to all music is being able to subdivide, subdivision. And I just kind of wanted you to riff on that, how you've cultivated that in your playing. Right, wonderful. Well, so for me, uh, my first introduction into to playing music was on the acoustic guitar, like in, in, like in fingerstyle. Um, I really was inspired by uh, you know, a lot of acoustic cats, like, you know, some of the, a, lot, a lot of the modern ones, the more modern ones too, like people like Andy McKee, but also some older cats like Don Ross from, from like the 80s and 90s. Um, a lot of really talented fingerstyle innovators, you know. And so from that point, you know, it, it, it's a lot of, you know, right hand action, you know, it's finger picking. So um, I, I grew my nails out and I, and I really learned, you know, with the, the one, two, three, four, um, just having those four main fingers you use to finger pick, you can, uh, you know, in, in crafting all, you know, the infinite possibilities of finger picking patterns, you can actually subdivide any way you want. And at one point, you know, I was kind of just curious and, uh, and writing and, and, and creating and, and realizing, oh, I can go one, two, or I can go one, two, three, or I can go one, two, three, four, or one, two, three, four, five. And, you know, it was kind of just like adding, it was kind of just like experimentation for me personally, you know? Um, and I think that, you know, like learning to play bass later on after starting on the six string guitar, bass is kind of the same thing, you know, except uh, primarily bass players playing the, you know, the finger style or just using their two fingers, which makes it a little bit more complicated. But, you know, uh, it makes you get more creative, which is why I love the bass and why I was drawn to the bass. It's, uh, it's more simple and that, you know, ultimately can be more acrobatic when you when you really, really tap into, you know, the bass role. You play with you play the two finger style on the bass. Yeah, primarily I do use my third finger for you know like some triplets or like some extra notes sometimes. Um, rarely use my pinky for much. Why, so explain yeah, explain I, to the audience why um, why that that's more challenging than using all four. Just because, I mean, you don't have this sort of uh, explain that to the people. Right, I guess uh, you know the the perpendicular bass style where you're holding your two fingers kind of pointing down at your instrument you know it's it's comfortable when you do it but at the same time you're playing with half the fingers you would say when if you were playing finger style guitar i mean and that's not to say that that's a limitation sure. for a bass player you know you can do anything <laughs> you can really, you can do anything you want 
it doesn't matter what it is, you know. Like if it's good, it's good. And and you know, I also I like to play with my thumb a lot too. You know, there's a style of like the muted thumb, bass thumb pull bass. Yeah, the and, slapping. Uh, you know, yeah, you, know, you can finger pick. I finger pick on bass. I play a six string bass a lot of the time, playing chords. Oh, you can, I, dude. Oh, when you really? play, you have what? What is it? An alembic? What kind of bass is it? It's actually just an ESP. It's uh, it's kind of one of their more budget model um, six string basses. It's honestly a nice, really affordable instrument that just a really good road hog kind of situation. You know, really, I don't mind taking it all over the place, and it's sturdy in climate and whatnot. You know, have you have you do you feel like um, uh, can you talk about syncing up with a drummer? Uh, I just I'm, I was thinking back to I was transcribing my interview with with a. This legendary drummer Ron Tut, who, uh, among others, was uh, Elvis's drummer, um, but he uh, he he, had, he found his mate, his bass bass playing mate, and John Kahn. They became, uh, you know, it was just they were always in, in sync together, and and John never pushed and he never dragged, and uh, and I just wonder what if you can talk about a rhythm mate. I know you haven't played the bass. Um, for that long, but somebody you've sort of synced up with, um, and how important that is to the, for the, for this music to take on a life of its own, you know? Right. Well, I think, yeah, it's really nice to, to really highlight that relationship with, with your percussionist or your, your drummer and your percussionist. I, in Guavitra, you play with both. And I have played in bands with both my drummer, my drum set player, Caleb Hayes. Um, I played with him a lot on drum set, but I've also played with, our percussionist Dan Fields on drum set in other bands. Um, and so I've, and for a lot of years now, uh, I say a lot, you know, for me, that's like five, six, seven years. <laughs> yeah, is a lot Yo, wait, 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 talk about uh, one of these, what, what was one of these bands with Fields on drums? So, um, he has his own band called the white clouds, which is this really awesome. Kind of like a, kind of like a new age, like psych group. You know, he has like a couple, um, a couple really cool albums and concepts that he's fleshed out really well. Very intuitive music, very like spiritual kind of approach to music. Sure, um, sure. It's a really cool project. Also, I mean, just like he's he, Dan Fields is one of those cats who's like always, you know, at least for me, he's he's in his thirties, which isn't much older than me in the grand scheme of things. But like for me, I, his name was always thrown around in the local scene where I grew up in our small town of Logan, Utah. Um, and and you know, he's just kind of this this guy, this legend, this this cat, you know, this. this uh, <laughs> Yeah, you know. He's no, I dig. I mean, that's 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 a high, pr- you know, it's beautiful. That's beautiful. So, um, no, I mean, expl- explain from a from the rhythm section's point of view how you guys can um, create or at least help provide a padding for new vocabulary within the musical construct, like where you know you'll never play this. I, I can just tell by your band that you guys never played the same song the same way once. You know, it's never the same. Um, and that, to me, just speaks to um, feel. Like, you know, how, how how much does a rhythm section impact um, the, the ability to create new vocabulary on the bandstand? Right. Well, you know, I think that there's something to be said for, you know, like character of these these guys that we play with in guava tree um like they, they definitely like have like a really intimate relationship with percussion not just as like a rhythm like i'm a i'm basically you know like 
I think a lot of drummers like forget the melody of the drum. Right. Exactly, and dude. Exactly. And, and, and like how there is truly like a, uh, it's really, they're primarily rhythmic instruments, obviously, but like there is like, you know, like a language in drums that can very much coincide with like what are, we're more familiar with. We think of like melody. Absolutely. Um, you know, in fact, like, I think it, I think it's a, explain, explain why, um, why has that, why do they forget that it's melodic? Because the generation before us, I mean, I'm 45, but those cats were all jazzers. They were huge jazz fans, but they didn't necessarily play that kind of music. Um, and I just wonder um, why, but many of them were melodic players. And I just wonder why you think people ha- right. forget about that. Yeah, you know, I don't know. I think maybe uh, it's hard to really say. Maybe it's something to be said for the ways in which people are learning music these days. You know, uh, I, I don't. I don't really know. I'm. I am actually. I'm. I'm all self-taught. I've kind of learned from like YouTube and uh, and stuff like that. And like, uh, in contrast with uh, some of my other bandmates, like my our percussionists are both you know like college, um, you know, college drummers. Kind of have gone through the college and uh, music musical school experience. You know which I think is a really cool contrast to kind of like me and Mowgli, where we're primarily self-taught. And I mean, Mowgli's gone to like, he's been playing music his whole freaking life, you know. <laughs> I, I was a little bit late to the game. No, man, it's great. It's actually a great blend. I mean, um, how do you got like, so how have you, outside of YouTube, how quickly, once you picked up any instrument, did you start like, just playing out live and being vulnerable? Right. Well, uh, I guess my intro to music was, you know, I guess as I say I'm self-taught, I did have some, like, classes in school where we kind of, you know, go through a guitar course. And that was, like, my first experience performing was in school. We do, like, a formal kind of, like, recital style kind of deal. Um, and I sure. remember being super nervous at first. You know, the first couple of shows, I was like, oh, gosh, there's, like, a couple hundred people in here, you know? <laughs> and even though, the, even though the spotlight wasn't on me and it wasn't like a band, it was you know, 30 kids in a class performing the same thing in unison. But, you know, moving on from there, I was, I, you know, like, we make band, we made bands. And, you know, the venue that Mowgli owns with our percussionist band uh, here in Logan, um, that place has always been around since I was playing music. And so, like, being able to form a band in junior high and have a place in this town to go and play, like a, a real show. Right was kind of, you know, kind of pivotal for me and in realizing, like, oh, shit, like, you know, music isn't just for other people. It's not just, like, this, uh, I don't know, for, growing up, I never realized how attainable it was to just put your, you know, hands on an instrument and, like, honestly, you will learn every day if you really had tap in, you know. I never realized that until I was just given a guitar. My dad bought me a guitar for, for Christmas. I was like, oh, shit, you can, uh, <laughs> you can just play these things, you know what I mean? Like, right. You can just... You know, use your ears, and I think that was really important for me to realize. Like, wow, you know, I can imagine if I if I can sing it, I can play it. If I can imagine it, I can probably sing it. You know, and that was a huge moment for me. And like uh, moving forward with learning music was like that gave me the ability to like trust my ears and be like, oh, like I can like take melody and you know translate it into the real world with this device. Like it was, it was a huge thing. <laughs> you know, it's not something that. That is not something you can learn on YouTube, though. I mean, that's something that is, you know, right. ingrained in you, and either you have it, it's sort of the essence. I mean, do you feel like, how effectively, or have have you been able to tell your story 
Um, do you feel like you have your own individual sound at this point? You know, I, th- I think I do. And I, I mean, I also understand that your music's like inherently derivative and it's really your whole ori- chasing originality is something that people can get caught up in. I, I do feel like I've like become an amalgamation of these like this wide variety of influences <laughs> I've, I've been in my whole life. Cause yeah, I, it's I awesome. Love, yeah. I, such a huge variety of music and I take influence from such, I mean, the guitar is the guitar, you know, it's in every genre imaginable. You know, the guitar is played in literally any genre you could possibly imagine. That's right. And, like, you know, that to me shows just the true versatility of it. And I really find inspiration from tons of non-guitar music, too. I mean, I'm primarily guitar and bass, but, you know, guitar is where I started and where I culminated a lot of my skill and understanding of music. And so the YouTube thing, kind of bouncing off of that, really, all I used that for was, like, a tool of, like, okay, I know these songs, I know the sound in my head or the sound that I've heard uh, see or seen others play. Sure. I know this thing and I want to just know how to play that so that I can then move forward with kind of my ideas. And I kind of really only use it as a method of learning like techniques. Like, okay, how do you, what's, what's proper finger in technique? What is a, the, how you shape your nails to be effective as a finger, finger style player? You know what I mean? Like it just sort of like stuff like that, you know, or like. Absolutely. Yeah. No, I mean, that's like, pro material ideas. right there. Stuff like that, you know. I use a lot of jam tracks on YouTube. That's something that I really can't understate enough is like, or overstate enough is the importance of just going online and being like, okay, I want to learn how to play in, you know, in the Dorian mode in this key, in whatever key, and I really want to get comfortable with how that sounds and plays and, and how to transition in and out of that. Go on YouTube and look up fucking whatever minor Dorian, B minor Dorian. Let's go. And there will be a 25 minute video of some backing track waiting for you to play guitar on or bass on or whatever. It's like, just go use those tools. Like, it was really just me being a bedroom musician and having no real close friends to jam with on that level, you know? And so I was like, okay, I'm just going to go and find a way I can get this, like, you know, this kind of experience without actually having to do it. And that did help a lot, but nothing can replace actually finding other cats and playing and connecting and looking in people's spaces, you know, while you're playing together. You know, like, that's really where I've learned most of everything is ultimately from other people at least setting me on the path of sure. where I wanted to learn. You know, like I did a lot of the work myself. In fact, you know, really you ultimately do all the work yourself at the end of the day. But like the tools you choose to find, I think is, you know, the best ones you can find are people. Like they, they've taken me so much further than anything else. But I mean, but how does that, so to explain, cause I, I'm with you, like you're talking about the, the human connection on the, you know, in music, but then you said you do it all yourself. So, I mean, you have to well, learn... I just mean the practicing. Yeah, that's all. Right, right, totally, totally. I mean, that to me, like, do you feel like there, once you, you know, got over those first gigs, but then do you feel like challenge? What is, what do you, how do you stay challenged as a musician? Like, Logan is definitely on my itinerary. I definitely want to get deep into that, you know, that, that amazing area. But do you feel like, I always feel that musicians will always get better playing with better musicians, but yeah, I mean, is yes. it, is it, is it a big enough, like, um, I forget the, what am I looking for? You know, can they cast a wide enough net so that outside of Guava Tree and stuff, you can consistently play with people that are better than you? Or is that more like, does that exist maybe in a bigger city than Logan? I think for me, for where I'm at right now, there's 
there's just like this really strong community of like you know um there's this really strong community of like older musicians in Logan that are kind of just like here really present with the university of uh, USU um specifically like Corey Christiansen wonderful phenomenal guitar player jazz guitar player play, you know lots of uh, of you know master classes and 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 band visits from all these all sorts of legends like Pete Bernstein, Kurt Rosenwinkel. I saw clinics from them there, and they just love playing with Corey. You know, he's wow. he's a legend in, wow. in 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 that kind of world, and and he he kind of has this community around him as well. Other educators, including uh, my teacher at the high school that I went to, is a charter high school. It was kind of like predominantly focused on music. His name is Ryan Conger. He's also an educator at USU. Uh, long story short, there's this list of really really good jazz musicians primarily um who exist in logan who are kind of always keeping the scene like uh at this high standard and for me personally uh there will be a long i could spend a lot of years here and still be able to find people to learn from and play with who, who exceed my skill just because of you know like their status as educators and their experience um and all the opportunities that people like Corey and my 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 good friend Ryan, who's my teacher, um, have had in their lives. Can you explain, this is, that's awe-inspiring. Uh, can you explain what that, how they keep the jazz, that vibe, I mean, are they out playing a lot live? I mean, that, that to me is like amazing that you have uh, people with chops like that, but what are they able to do and does the community do those spaces support the musicians? You know, that's the interesting thing about Logan is, is you know, like there are very few places that you could be, you know, that, that could be a really good venue for jazz, but um, the few places that do have the, you know, the the care for the art enough to actually have like a dedicated jazz night. Um, there, there are um, two that I can think of off the top of my head that have regular jazz nights, but really what I mean when I, when I say that those guys like, kind of keep the influence alive and yeah. keep that, you know, that, uh, that mentality flowing is mostly in an education standpoint. Like you mentioned Corey and Ryan, um, both just really, really dedicated educators who, who make their career out of it. Um, and, uh, you know, they also do have their own gigs that they, you know, they, like Corey flies out and plays with people. Um, he does like guest stuff at other colleges as well. goes to music schools, right. that sort of thing. Uh, and then Ryan gets gigs and primarily in Salt Lake City, which is a bit south of us. Um, but like he used to play with the Joe McQueen Quartet. I'm not sure if you ever heard of those guys there. No, Joe I mean, I, I, I think it's, I think you have to figure out a way to sing for your supper. Um, you know, and I, I just, for you and your heart of hearts, I mean, um, you were self-taught musician, but have you, can you talk about an experience in your career um, where you had the opportunity to, um, you know, have that road dog experience for three weeks. Um, and like what, what, how much of that is built into you and how much of that like feeds you in terms of, you know, for me, like live music, um, sort of in this very random way, um, has become the best psychotherapy ever. I mean, I, 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 you don't need a shrink when you go see powerful music. You can get everything. Right. You can heal through that. And so my, my question is, do you feel like you're a road dog for life, or would you pursue 
the academic route. And there's nothing, I have nothing against those cats you're talking about because I know they're badasses. But to me, like, oh, yeah. you know, like the the tourings, the lack of touring circuits and the um, the lack of, like, opportunities live on the bandstand, um, you know, you can't really, music can't grow within the academy. But yet that's where, you know, they send people. But I think a lot of people yeah. wind up sounding like their professors, which is why, uh, Trace and Bradshaw, it's wonderful that you're self-taught because you're going to have your own sound, you know? <laughs> oh, of course. I think that maybe, uh, maybe, maybe, maybe the wrong, maybe I'm putting off the wrong idea. You're not, you're not putting off the wrong idea. I'm just, I, I, I have a big, yeah, yeah, yeah this is one of my shticks is about just the ability to, right. you know, how, how do you grow in the, how can kids learn to find their own sound? You know, it's just the, 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 uh, the Berkeley's and those kinds of places, they were, uh, you know, trade schools for a long time, but now, you know, and so what I'm saying is, do you, do you keep your options open? Do you, do you feel like you would want to enter that, uh, the academy as well? You know, I honestly don't think that I, okay. I think that I would sooner put all of my time and energy into being successful in music, uh, in the non-academic route first, you know, if I ever got to a level of success and, you know, you know, financial and uh, right. just a certain level of comfort uh, in a career in music that didn't involve school and I, it's just as an artist, creator, or a session musician, whatever it may be, um, I would prefer that. And that's where I'm putting my energy, you know? And I think that if I got to that point and I had some time on my hands and I had some money on my hands, I would definitely want to get an academic experience with music. I think that there's, honestly, depending on who you are, I think that there's a lot of benefit to be had from that. I mean, I, I've never been to school for music, but I've talked to a lot of people who have, and I know a lot of people who have. And a lot of them say, yeah, it was cool, but do I wish do, I could have done, I don't know. A lot of them, like, like oh, my, some of my bandmates say, like, it was great, and I learned a lot. But at the end of the day, most of my, you know, improvement and most of my inspiration and my drive comes from the stuff that's away from that, the, the playing with other musicians. And, and I think the guava tree is so cool because we are all really, really, really good in different areas, I think, and we kind of complement each other in that way, so we're always inspiring each other, and uh, we all have our own little, uh, you know, we all have our other bands that we play with, and, and people who are better than us in other ways. Right. Not necessarily as players, but like, you know, a lot of really good songwriters, a lot of talented, you know, singers, just a wide variety of, I mean, all of us play with four or five, six other groups, um, sometimes independent of each other, sometimes with each other, you know. We have side projects, we have, you know, this and that, and we have different genres. And so a lot of it is us pushing each other uh, in ways that we haven't already pushed each other. Because I think that we we have such a, a wide palette between this community and Logan, not just Guavitry, but, you know, this, this pretty consistent community of Logan musicians and Salt Lake as well is included in this. And Ogden, two other nearby cities that are filled to the brim with really, really, really good music. Yeah, it's really uh, unbelievably... Have you um have you picked up the bass fiddle yet? The bass fiddle. Yeah, no. the, the acoustic bass. Oh, the, oh, yeah, yes, of course. Yeah, I I just didn't know how to buy that name. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, dude, I I feel like I feel like maybe I mean, so we'll talk a little bit about that experience because the uh arbiter arbiter totally different way to hold the instrument and uh right. muscle usage and you know, guys like George Porter who I've interviewed like he he messed up his armature, so he couldn't he couldn't play the upright. But you know that's a demanding. You know you, you're going to bleed. You're going to get calluses. 
For sure. I mean, I've I've played upright bass a few times. Never never a whole lot. I've never owned one and really practiced on one. Um, the closest thing, though, that I can relate to with that is just me acquiring this. Uh, I, I picked up a acoustic, well, a semi-hollow electric acoustic wow. um, wow. five-string wow. fretless bass with flat wounds on it. So it really is made to emulate um, that upright sound. And I've been really getting into that, you know, and, and really experiencing a fretless instrument for the first time. Because I've never really, I mean, I've played fretless instruments uh, here and there, picked them up, never owned one, and never, never played one long term. So it's been a really nice, you know, experiment and, and excursion. You know, when you say when you say emulate, like, um, what is the the fine line there? Where um, is it just merely that you can only emulate it because it's synthetic, as opposed to the actual wood and and you know gut, gut strings like like what is what is that difference between having that um fretless thing versus you know the actual upright right i guess when i say emulate i mostly just think of it's so it's an ibanez i forget the, the, the model number it's there um it's their semi-hollow fretless bass and, and in the description it says it's kind of like the electronics and just the timbre they've uh, they strived for in constructing the instrument um, is kind of made to emulate that uh, upright bass sound without actually kind of having to play an upright bass. And it does it is pretty close, you know. Like when I plug it in, I've got a, I've got an Ampeg SVT720. It's a really nice amp, and I can really get a versatile tone out of it. And I actually have put it through there and been like, wow, you know, like could fool me with the right touch, you know. Like a, that's beautiful. Wow. Wow. Um, yeah, the right the touch. String, so it's got that low B, so you can kind of get the double bass register. You know, like you, it kind of really feels like a double bass out of a good amp, you know, solid, well EQ'd amp. Um, so if one of those cats was. I can't recommend EQ pedals enough. I, I love using my EQ pedal. It's about the only pedal I really rely on on my bass. That's you, only one pedal. That's really talk about that. I mean, that to me. Is, I, well, I do use a wah. I use like a Steve Vai Bad Horsey Contour wah, which mm-hmm. is like actually a guitar pedal. But um, wow, I find it. Really, it's like a. It's kind of like a toggle, wow. like a, an envelope filter. You can toggle. I mean, it is all wah is obviously, but it really sounds like that bass envelope. Totally. Even though it's a guitar pedal, so I really like that for like leads and some chords and that kind of thing. Um, but other than that, just that ten band EQ. Um, just kind of like really making my amp sing with my bass, and that's kind of really all I rely on. I don't I don't use fuzz. I kind of really rely on my onboard electronics and my onboard EQ that comes built into the bass to to allow me that versatility of tone. Do you? I I, I often wonder about this. I mean, you know, like some cats, um, you know, if they're in a venue or something. Um, you know, they'll start wearing in-ear monitors, you know, and because they, they can't hear themselves. And a lot of people like Bernard Bernard Purdy were like, yeah, but, you know, if, if Cat's wearing in-ear monitors, then he's listening to himself and he's already behind the beat. And I just know that when I heard you guys that night, um, there was like a primal, up-from-the-roots kind of force from the, for the music, obviously, with the people bringing it, but... To me, there was also like you guys were taking in the environmental sounds, which are equally important. And I just wanted you to right. t- talk a little bit about like, you know, how important that that nat sound is to you, or do you want to be able to hear everything? I mean, I don't know. To me, it's like almost like uh, if three out of the four guys in the band are are 
going r- regular, but one guy's not, you can't really grow. You know what I'm saying? I'm not saying that's happening with you. Right. Yeah. Well, I think it's I think it's I think it's interesting you bring up that show, and I think it's also interesting you bring up just the whole monitor thing. Like we were actually just talking about how Herbie's <laughs> band, like like Herbie Hancock's band, like they didn't use monitors. Like they he was like Herbie was like no, <laughs> like right. we're not. You know, it was like a thing for him, and it was like we like we're playing this room, this stage, this whatever. Uh, we're playing it together, you know, like on this stage, and like just like I think that that you know. I think there's something to be said for that, and like I, I do like to hear stuff louder sometimes, you know. And it's nice when there's on stage monitors, but as far as in ears go, I, I don't think that we'll ever be that band. And that's <laughs> really, really, good. No, no, I really dig that you said that. First of all, I know that I know the band early '70s. Uh, he had this bad band called M1 Dishi, and they were playing like steakhouses and stuff, and they were playing like really sophisticated modal jazz music funk um right and yet these cat and they would go on for 18 minutes at a time but it was like more about being able to really listen that's the key you know it's how can you keep your ears open and keep communicating and playing off other people you got monitors in there you know uh, to me, I just see a lot of cats using it, and I'm just like, I, you know, to me, it's a distraction, you know. And I, I'm, I'm glad to see that. Well, I mean, Guava Tree is just a really raw, primordial band. Yeah, and you know that show that you that we met you at, you know, that that Treeform music festival yeah. show in Boise. Um, so that was our, you know, that was like kind of the reunion, like that was our band reuniting all together for the first time in probably six months. And before that, we only wow. jammed. It. A few times with Caleb. Caleb's our new was our new drummer at that point. Yeah, like my man. Very dude. much like uh, yeah. we, like Dan had just come back from India. He'd been in India for like two and a half months. Caleb had just kind of like get into the idea, gotten the idea to uh, move to Utah sure. to join the movement, you know, and join Guava Tree. Um, and I think that like that show kind of was uh, us definitely like falling in and like connecting in that way. And you know the pro, you know I'm excited for you to see us again. You know the progress we've made since that. Well, not me, dude. I I don't. I mean, I'm not the most objective person because I just want to have a good time. But like, it was already like, I don't know. I I felt like it was. You're right. It was a little. Some. I just felt like your presence on stage too. Is that something you've had to work on? Like, sort of. I don't want to say like the entertainment value. That's the last thing I'm. I want to. You know, I I don't want a formula trip. But I mean, like you were like dancing around the stage. You know. At least that's my memory of it, and I'm just like, I'm like, have you worked on that entertainment value? I do feel like that is, without you know, sounding like I'm stating the obvious. I just feel like more than ever with all the distractions and the the iPhone interfaces that distract sure. us, like it's important to have like not just like unpredictable music, but also unpredictable personalities as well. Well, yeah, I think that, you know, as far as, like, the, like, stage movement or, like, movement while playing, you know, I think that whether or not I was on stage in front of a bunch of people or whether I'm jamming in in, in a rehearsal or jamming for a smaller crowd or whatever it may be, uh, I think that, like, the movement, the physical movement of playing music is really important, at least for me, but I think for a lot of people, and in in my head, personally, this is just where I go with it, in my own head, I I see the, the... physical relationship whether that's tapping your foot bouncing your leg moving your head back and forth whatever it is i mean you know there's an intimate relationship we have with rhythm 
and physical rhythm as human beings. That's our heartbeat. That's our footsteps. That's our chewing. There's rhythm built into our daily lives and our daily functions as humans. And so, like, I think that moving, like, the movement with music for me is so much, like, I don't know. I think Carlos Santana said it really well in this little ad I saw for, a, like, a jam play course or something. I don't know. He, he did. I saw an ad with him and he said, well, you know, it doesn't sound like that if you don't make the face, man. <laughs> like that, you don't move your body like that you know like you, you you are expressing more than just through your instrument like it's a physical well no know, i mean what do you what do you yeah i mean talk about that accessing i guess it's your first chakra right it's like the bottom of of the cossacks area like you have to go into the primordial area to get to that level you know there were a lot of the old school cats would talk about that you know it's like to me um do you feel like you have the ability, um, you know, to also um, sort of take on the Socratic method that you must know what you don't know, meaning like you could play some burning 45-minute set, someone could come off, someone, someone could come up to you and say, how did you do that? And you say, I have no idea. So, like, how have you learned, how have you learned to sort of remove your ego? We all have ego. How have you learned to get out of your own way in order to channel that music from the primordial gut? You know, that's, that's kind of like, that's, that's, I like, I really like that you asked that. Cause like, that's, that's a big part of like, you know, like the, the, the path I've ended up taking with like music and playing music with others is like, like realizing. And honestly, to be honest, to be quite honest with you, you're having these realizations in the depths of, you know, psychedelic experiences, oh my God. experiences, oh my God. Um, you know, experiences where I'm playing with people in a very vulnerable and exposed mental state, you know, like, uh, you know, like mushrooms, you know, uh, and LSD and things like that in my past, you know, I, I still dabble, but I mean, like, I used to be sure, really into that sure. musical connection with the psychedelics. And I think that that kind of set me on a path. I wouldn't, I won't say that, it, you know, playing on psychedelics, you know, made me what I am fully, but it definitely gave me this connection with, okay, I'm playing these things that I, you know, that I wouldn't be playing in this way otherwise. And so I, so I know I'm capable of it. And it taught me me that, you know, I should just become vulnerable and actually try to actively seek out that like surrendering, you know, and that actually like, especially when you're playing with other people who are kind of on that wave, it's like you, you will finally catch that wave together and, and you can feel it if you're, if you're exposing yourself to it, you know, and I think that the physical movement really helps with that because like when a whole room full of guys playing together is moving together as well, it, it, it is like another layer on this, you know, this wave that we're all riding together and the surrendering that we're all doing together. It is a connecting experience too. You know? Dude, you're making me crack up because I'm, I'm thinking about, Jerry Garcia talking about really being on the bandstand, tripping his face off, and thinking <laughs> thinking that he literally that it was you know it was he wasn't going to make it, and um, right. he got over that fear. Um, he said, "Hey, if this is it, this is it," and he sort of just what you described. I think playing things that you wouldn't normally otherwise play because all your inhibitions are down, you're totally psychedelicized. I think that's just a perfect, perfect way. And I, I think a lot of people, I mean, can you talk about a transcendent experience on LSD, uh, on the bandstand for you when you were, it was like, um, I mean, 
and then you heard the tape back, and you're like, "That was me," you know, like. <laughs> talk, right. well, yeah. Okay, so it, that, that's actually interesting. You asked that. So I've actually had limited experiences with LSD playing for people, but we we took a Guava Tree took a journey um, one time just to Colorado to this nice little like Airbnb trailer on top of a hill wow. in or, in Orchard City, Colorado. Beautiful spot overlooking a lake uh, next to a whole bunch of apple orchards. Uh, and we we set up all our recording. We took like a minimal eight track recording setup on the road for MacBook. Um, we set all our shit up in this. I shit you not, it was an Austin Powers themed Airbnb. Like it was like orange shag in this like wood panel trailer with Austin Powers framed shit everywhere. It was a vibe, man. And uh, <laughs> we all took a whole bunch of mushrooms and just like came up on mushrooms and we're just playing our music and and music we've been writing and uh, kind of so there's more like modal like harmonic minor kind of like uh wow yeah you know, like yeah eastern inspired jams were are a big are a big thing you know like we we learned we learned uh we play like a turkish traditional song and that really inspires us to play in, in that way wow so we were really balls deep in that at that time and we took you know we took we all took a i don't even know how much mushrooms it wasn't a whole a whole crazy amount but it was enough you know and we had just like this really crazy experience where we all talked about it and had a totally different experience uh, and recollection of what was happening and what we, where we were all at. But at the same time, we all kept having mutual moments where we were like, you know, making eye contact and being really vulnerable and also like... It was totally like, a trip. To, like, oh, what man. We're doing, yeah. What we're doing is really like riding a storm, like having those realizations and kind of epiphany moments where we're just like, holy shit, like we are doing this as we like we were a fucking band you know what i mean like we were we, we were like i don't know it was a very connective experience it was really intense and the thing was i, I didn't think it sounded as good as it did but we listened back to it we ate track recorded everything and we were like wow like that's uh, you know like <laughs> dude it, i would love to hear that that is unbelievable it was a very inspirational experience you know what i mean like it, it showed us that like you know putting ourselves in that state might have been kind of uncomfortable but it also like was totally worth it and it actually exposed us to something that we can channel whether or not we're tripping you know i don't really trip to play shows live i haven't really i don't know i just I, think I, that, that i mean I that is just, something I that i mean that music alone you know once i mean yeah i mean i think you know it's, it's sort of like you know you, these cat truthfully um like where do you feel is the band just um where does the band need to grow the most? How much of that, how much of you, the future, not to look too far in the future, it's always about being in the moment, but... Right. Uh, um, but goals are important. Absolutely. What's what, what's the area that Aqua Tree, uh, Guava Tree needs to grow the most in? You know, I think that, I think that we've, we've kind of identified it, and it's really just kind of like the, we always, I don't know, I think that there's always, you know, many areas that a band can improve in regardless of where you're at. But I think that we've kind of decided mutually for the past, since Caleb has joined the band, we've entered this new phase. We've kind of decided to make listening and, 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 you know, playing as playing for the whole as, as opposed for the, as, as opposed to for the one. Right. All, yeah. All for one. Right. Yeah. And, and I don't know if you're familiar with, um, Thelonious Monk's, a famous list of advice that he had uh, written that's blown up everywhere in the jazz community. Yeah, what was it? What did he say? Um, I can pull it up real quick. Uh, anyway, Chick Corea has one too. Yeah. And um, we were really into that. We like plastered all over the venue we own. Let me, let me look up Chick Corea's. Yeah, I want to know this. 
yeah, it's it's lovely. Um, it's something that just I'm surprised. I was so like mad I never heard of it until like, I actually. <laughs> yeah, it's you're meant to hear when it's you're meant to hear it, you know. Yeah, so this is cheap but good advice for playing music in a group like Chick Korea. Number one, uh, play only what you hear. Period. That's number one. Uh, number two is if you don't hear anything, don't play anything. Period. Right. right. Uh, number three is don't let your fingers and limbs just wander. Place them intentionally. Um, you know, th- there, this is a list of 16, and I won't spoil it. This all is three, unbelievable, dude. Jack, man. Yeah, I suggest anyone. I mean, the first three are really, really good. I mean, there's another one, there's another one really further down that I really think is important to be fine to hear. Yeah, this um, is unbelievable. Number 11, uh, play to make the other musicians sound good. Play things that will make the overall music sound good. And I think that that's, like, really the best way to say what I'm kind of getting at here is, like, when you're playing for your band, like, and you really understand how you can support them and make what you know their parts to be their consistent parts. Because we all, you know, we play, like you said earlier, we play sets differently every time. But at the end of the day, we do have consistencies and we have ideas that we try we, to Oh, we have heads and, and, and totally, yeah. Yeah, right, right. Yeah. You, know, you know how it is. Yeah, uh, totally. And, and so we really, I think that that kind of, like, I, I, I discovered this list and uh, I also brought up the Thelonious Monk one, which I'm also going to pull that up. Man, this is unbelievable. Um, the Thelonious Monk one was in the classroom of Ryan Conger, that cat I mentioned earlier. Yeah. Wonderful jazz organist. I mean, he also restores Hammond organs, uh, so historical badass. Hammond organs. He's a, he's, he's, a, he's a cat, you know. He's, really? he's the definition of an organ cat, you know. And uh, he was my teacher, and he had this wonderful Thelonious Monk list of advice. Um, <laughs> just Dude, up in his room. Sphere, and, man. Like, he used to quote it all the time. It was just like blowing my freaking mind. Dude, I mean, Monk was, uh, my God, that... Middle name was Sphere, you know? Unbelievable, man. <laughs> Dude, it was crazy. So, I mean, you feel like it's more, if I'm hearing you correctly, um, these are sort of more enlightened sort of musical principles that, that you want Guava Tree to aspire to. Is that where you need to grow in? Or, or is it... Well, I guess, uh, I guess where we identified our need for growth was in fact being able to play more cohesively and being able to like I think that's kind of our forever goal is to become more and more enmeshed totally and to yeah totally more, right more like a hive mind of music you know? like, yeah like that's kind of this I, I, I don't know it's hard for me to say where specifically we need to work on the most I think it's putting in a more you know musical technical term I would say phrasing you know <clears throat> the way that we're phrasing our passages and the way that we're like representing our parts together and uh you know i think it's just a developmental process in learning how to enmesh our parts in a way that they contrast and and you know maybe they're not playing the same thing but we're contrasting we're we're playing mindfully with each other uh and we we do this thing in guam where we, we pair up a lot there's four of us we have two percussionists and two people who play guitars me and lonely uh, i play the bass guitar and so we we find ourselves linking up a lot playing in unison at times with each other in pairs or, or sometimes we'll all join together you know it's, mm-hmm. it's a lot of that sort of interplay and like deciding when we want to actually like hop in or you know bounce back with someone <coughs> you, you, you're doing this is phenomenal articulation of this so the idea is I mean do you have tunes where have you developed a repertoire where you realize that there are certain tunes that like you know, they transition into one tune into the other very seamlessly. Like, do you combine, do you play a lot of tunes back yes. to back like that? Like, and this is why, Jake, I really wish you could see 
a little bit more about our live experience. And I'd love to come and play in Tucson. Yeah, you got to get to AZ, man. Yeah, 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 yeah. We we definitely plan on. I know you. You'll get. I know it's yeah. gonna it's gonna go down, man. I can feel it. Yeah, dude. Yeah. Um, so that's that, that. What you just mentioned is pretty much like the core of our live performance. And, and you have Mowgli, who you've interviewed multiple times. You yeah. know how that guy is. Uh, <laughs> he, he's kind of ultimately like Guava Tree is an amalgamation, but ultimately these are Mowgli's songs. Yeah. Um, and like we're we're his band, and we help make the parts what they are, and we help we put our ideas in. There's a couple of my licks in the band that we use, but at the end of the day. Um, Mowgli has a lot of these ideas for putting songs together and you know if you listen to we're, we're in the middle of recording an LP right now full length album with uh, like I think 11 tracks we've decided wow. and actually throughout the album just about every single one of them has some sort of sonic relation to you know the next song with the first and last chord kind of situation really and it's, and it's intentional yeah like, that's the point it's, it's intention like, yeah borderline concept album I, I, don't, I don't know I'm a huge prog guy prog metal like prog yeah yeah sure and the, the concept album is very much like a huge part of that genre and I just kind of fell in love with that as a young musician you know and so I think that a lot of us kind of have that like you know wanting to make the album not just a collection of songs that work together but a collection of songs that really are mindful of each other and actually flow together like you know, like a movie or, or like... A, well, but, but you know, it's so crazy. I, I'm just riffing off the cuff. Maybe not that you, you guys are a prog metal band. You know, you play all kind, You play all different kinds of styles of music. But sure. I just remember Lee Sklar, the great bass player, who I've interviewed a number of times. He, uh, yeah, yeah. the guy with the big beard, you know, and he was talking yeah, about... Yeah, Lee, Lee's legendary, man. Yeah, no, he's a, he's a great cat. And... Um, and uh, he played on what? Like I forget what his. Well, no, I mean we were talking about it. we were we were talking about these uh, these James Taylor. You know, he goes. We would buy the record, put the record on. They were in pop music, in pop rock music at a particular time in this country's history. They were known. They were known for concept albums. Now you're telling me prog metal is made for con that that is a that that's a turn. Because that's not happening in all genres of music. Why do you think it's easier in prog metal to have concept albums? You know, that's I love that you asked that because you know I think that I think there is a good amount of attention to prog acts like of today. You know, right. Like, leaders is right. You know, you get, they get attention just because of the raw guitar power. <laughs> you know, uh, yeah. people like Polyphia. I'm sure you've heard of Polyphia. Sure. Like the pop stars of prog. Anyway, I just I see those guys and I see um, there's just a certain degree of this like modern kind of like free form you know style that is emerged in these players like you know like not being afraid to use like aspects of all genres of music all sorts of different genres of music and like like and and offsetting like you know classical instruments or acoustic instruments or you know like orchestras or you know this wide variety of different sounds. I mean, there's there's funk. There's even like slide guitar that I've heard in in prog metal albums. I mean, like there's they're not afraid to create soundscapes and kind of like use the guitar in ways that you wouldn't usually hear. Like think Steve Vai, you know, think the sounds he's capable of. Right. Like, how he changed the guitar in the in the eighties and nineties. Um, you know, like I, I just see like this really expressive and like. Un, untethered approach to guitar that is in kind of in contrast to the freeform style of jazz and like um, it, it's a similar mentality but it's it's very much more like I see it I, I see a lot of modern prog as somewhere between jazz and classical music 
just kind of put through loud, powerful, modern sounds, you know? Right, that's... Which is, which is why I felt so inspired by it, you know? I like the I like Herbie's attitude. No monitors on the bands, you know. Like just, I mean, to me, like right, right. you know, like I mean, it's just like it's just to me, like I I feel like you guys are on a. So what other, what other, um, like I would say, like um, bands that you play with, or do you actually uh, have gigs with? Um. Right. So. Um... I play with kind of like this uh, modern, like jazz, funk, pop kind of fusion uh, project called Beatnik, which uh, I would love to send you some of. Wow, that sounds fantastic. Yeah, it's a a local cat named Peter LaBarge, who's kind of like the mastermind behind that band. He's a very talented songwriter, very talented keyboard player. He plays bass and guitar. I mean, he he does it all. He plays most of the stuff on his recordings. Anyway, I've known him for a number of years now. And, you know, we played in bands in the past together. And, um, I mean, his recordings just sound so good. We know a really good producer around here. So we, we get gigs pretty often, not as often as we'd like. And then me and Dan from Guava Tree, our percussionist, uh, we play with another local cat named uh, Dr. Anderson Safre. He's a Brazilian um, immigrant who's here for school, and he's just an absolute wizard on guitar. I mean, he can play every Stevie Ray Vaughan song, frontwards, backwards, sideways, every <laughs> Hendrix song you can imagine. Wow. You know? He's, he's that guy, you know, he just knows it all. He has that, just, he just has that repertoire. And we love playing. We have a trio, uh, the Dr. Safra and the Double Standards. Um, me, and, me and Dan being the Double Standards. Wow. And, uh, yeah, he's here getting his second PhD right now. He, he moved back to Brazil for a little while after I first met him, after he got his first PhD. And he's back here, I believe it's environmental science. Wow. He's working on right now. So, yeah, he's, he's a wonderful musician and he teaches us so much. He pushes me on guitar. I mean, he's... He's a wizard, so um, we love playing with him. We get bar gigs with him quite a bit. So we've all got these, you know, it's a different genre experience with a lot of these bands, which I, I really, really value. Yeah, you have a very diverse, your, your, your intake, of your the diet. You're like an omnivore when it comes to music. You know, before... I love that, yeah, yeah. I love that. <laughs> yeah, uh, Brother Bradshaw, before, before we wrap, I just, I wanted you to talk a little bit about... Um, <clears throat> What your advice is, we live in a time now where, um, I mean, it's always been like this to a degree, but um, back in the day, yeah, there was cut sessions and there was, it was competitive, especially, but in jazz, um, you wanted to have your own individual sound. You didn't want to copy anybody. You didn't want to sound like anybody. Sure, you had your influences, but if somebody, even right. in, the, in the rock or the funk bag in, that, in the late 60s, early 70s, if somebody came up and like was like, "Hey, you were great. You sounded just like so and so," person would be like, "What did I do wrong?" You know. And yet, right. people today, in some ways, because of we're saturated with visual material, and a lot of it is very mediocre. At the same time, people are trying to comp other people. They're trying to sound like other people. And I would just say, like, how have you learned to? What would you say to cats who? maybe don't have the best facility or technique in the world, but yet they have soul. How do you access that and make, how have you learned to become more comfortable in yourself to, not that you don't have great jobs, but like what, even just talking to you now, I mean, how, how many great musicians are in every town in this? I mean, it'd be easy to compare yourself to death 
And how have you learned to just be yourself? Right. You know, I think that, I think that, you know, um, uh, I'm trying to think about the best way to say this. So like, yeah, I, th- I see, I see that. And I see like the comparison and then the never ending, like, you know, especially on inst- places like Instagram, yeah, like of the course. Instagram musician thing, you know, where you see just the absolute most ungodly shredders <laughs> doing crazy, yeah. shit, you know, playing guitar with one hand and keyboard with the other, just wailing on both. And it's just like, wow, that's insane. Right. Shit, that guy's 12. You know, like right, but he's like doing it in isolation. It does, yeah, it's like, does it feel good? It, 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 I mean, is he doing it by himself when wanking it? You know what I'm saying? Like, to me, it's like, right. well, you yeah, go on. And that's the thing is, like, I think I think that today, like, you know, there are a lot of really, really powerful musicians that you know maybe you wouldn't consider to have the most insane chops in right. the world. And you know, like, I definitely, I will admit, like, I spent most of my time on technique the first like five years of my playing music. So I was focused on, I really wanted to learn how to shred. I wanted to learn, how, I wanted to learn legato on guitar. I wanted to learn all this finger picking stuff. And like, you know, I've I, recently, I've gotten into like double thumping and like, you know, a lot of these really niche <laughs> more complicated techniques I've always been drawn to just because like, I feel like I've, I'm easily able to figure them out mechanically. And like my brain really, I almost meant, think I might've been meant to be born as a drummer. You know, I, I always felt like the rudiment aspect and like the numbers sure, sure, of learning sure. the instrument has always been nice to me, which is why I love finger picking. It's got five picks, you know, and it's like, you, you got a whole bunch of options and, and, you know, the tapping thing and the whole, you know, there's so many approaches with your hands on the guitar, which I've always been really drawn to. And, and so maybe like the whole, like learning, like I, it's, it, I had to actually work in reverse at a certain point. It's like, okay, I need to learn how to incorporate the feeling into this exactly dude and, and like exactly able, you know I'm, I'm not one to say that shredding is is emotionless because there are so many absolutely insane shredders who will do the most crazy shit you've ever heard that is so musical oh come so on emotionally yeah. complex oh. yeah. in his run even though he's playing 16th notes and playing legato and shredding for you like <clears throat> he's saying something in high high detail because of the way he's playing it Guthrie Govin my favorite example of this favorite example on guitar electric guitar how you can play a lot of notes if you really want to and if you're capable and still have the ability to flow and and be speaking with these mm. flurries wow. you know of notes and these lines because you, you shouldn't be afraid of shredding and i think a lot of guitar players get insecure and they see people who shred and they they write that off and they and they immediately see it as like maybe it's an intimidating thing but it's like and i'll admit there's a lot of emotion to shred out there there's a lot of mechanical fucking arpeggiating you know like repetitive stuff i'll admit that that's a thing but i'll also say that like you should be striving to find that balance and and you know if you it feels good to learn techniques it feels good to get even if you're not having to use it all the time you don't have to use it all the time i mean my favorite video that kind of encapsulates what i'm saying is there's a rare there's rare footage of bb king playing an Inve malmsteen song live wow. and you know this is this is bb king like he's you know slow blues he's the king you know like he's 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 that in that world so every every footage almost every footage you see is him playing the blues uh and rock and roll and stuff like that and then you see him playing this like modern like you know Inves, you know one of the original guitar gods like he's he right changed the instrument and, and you know really really pushed the envelope for what it meant to be at the peak of guitar performance on electric guitar and this is bb king tributing him and covering a song and you never see bb king playing like shred electric legato guitar you know and this is 
a really important thing I think for me was seeing that video and being like, oh, like you can truly encapsulate every genre with your playing, and, and you know you can really be versatile, and, and you know you don't have to be afraid to like learn it all or get lost in something, or, or you know, like it's just about mindfulness. Well, no, and it's like about it's about getting lost and then finding your way back. I mean, that's part of the fun mm-hmm. when you get to that certain point, you know. Totally, totally. Jason Bradshaw, man, I cannot wait to ca- catch a hang with you and the band again. I hope it is sooner than later, man. It was such an honor to talk to you. Dude, likewise, man. Yeah, we, me and Caleb were listening to your Stanley, uh, your Stanley Clark interview on the way home from our little tour we did. <laughs> yeah, that was spiritual shit, man. That was, yeah, we, we, it was just like, you know, 10 p.m. driving in the dark. We're like, listening to you and Stanley talk about all, those, all, you know, all that, that time period and everything, you know. Yeah, I'm honored to be a part of the show, man. Thank you so much for everything. Yeah, much love, man. Continued success on your path, man. We'll talk soon. Yeah, we will, yeah. We'll catch you in Tucson hopefully soon. Absolutely. Say hi to the fellas for me. Have a good night. All right, much love. Peace.